There's a time and a place for black and white, like when you're learning to play piano, or when you want a big two-toned cookie, or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white, so go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing, from banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 10, 18. Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. Blog Talk Radio. Oh, mama, I'm in fear for my life from the long arm of the Lord. Got miles to go before we sleep. Lawman is putting into my running and I'm so far from my We will not go gently. We're going to unleash hell here in December. Oh, mama, I can hear you crying. You're so scared and all alone. Hey, somebody fix this guy's buckle. I'm going to play football. coming down from the gallows and I don't have very long. Gentlemen, Steeler Nation, welcome back to the BTSC flagship podcast. The standard is the standard. I'm editor behind the steelcurtain.com. Jeff Hartman with me as always is Lance Williams out on the West Coast. How's it going, Lance? I'm doing okay. I hope you guys didn't hear that. I'm doing okay. Oh, wow. This is an interesting start to the show, but I'm doing fantastic. Trying to make it happen little technical difficulties, but we're going to make it happen. We're going to give you a show. We're going to do it like we always do it, the flagship style way. That's right. It's been a while since uh, most of the fans have heard the show uh, based on the fact that, uh, you know, really, we didn't go on the air. Uh, the week right after the Steelers lost to the Patriots in the AFC Championship game, a lot has taken place since then, a lot of rumors, stuff of that nature. Lance, I'm going to kick it over to you to host the show. What do you want to talk about? Do you want to talk about the Patriots? Do you want to talk about the other nonsense that's going on? You you, you run this thing. we got a nice little smorgasbord for you guys on the show. Of course, we're going to give our breakdowns and a little rundown of the AFC Championship game. But I think what I want to do on this show, or what we're going to do on this show, we want to pose a very simple question to Steeler Nation. Do the Pittsburgh Steelers have a Patriots problem? We've seen all the stats of what Tom Brady has done to this defense, this coaching staff, different guys on the coaching staff in this franchise. And I think if we're being honest with, our, with ourselves, that the biggest obstacle for the Steelers winning a seventh championship is Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, and the New England Patriots. Let's just face it. So 
we're going to tackle that question, and we're going to jump into some of the off-field stuff. But, Jeff, the first thing I want to ask you is just give me your basic game thoughts on the AFC Championship. I know you've had some time to process it, and this is one of the reasons why I wanted to do the show in two weeks because, for me, after the first week, the wound was pretty fresh. I was still trying to get around that thorough, dominant butt-whooping that I watched. I wasn't expecting it, so I was a little out of sorts, probably for an entire week. I had to wrap my head around it, and so that's why we're doing the show today. And so you had almost two weeks or about ten days to sort of digest it. What happened offensively? You know, what went on in that game? Why did they struggle? Why couldn't they, you know, score the 30-plus, you know, 20-plus points that we kind of both thought that they would score in this ball game? Well, you know, um, that's a really good question. And the first thing that comes to my mind is that Le'Veon Bell went down in the first quarter. And you have to think that the plan going into – going into this game was plain and simple to run the football. And I wouldn't blame them for wanting to run the football, even though the Patriots had a good running defense. I I felt like the Steelers should be able to get the ground game going. Uh, It just really is confusing to me with then the news breaks that, you know, Le'Veon Bell had had the groin injury. He said today on the Rich Eisen show, that he suffered this injury, really. It was a nagging injury, but it really was aggravated in the third quarter against the Dolphins in the wild card game. And then he played through it. He said he barely made made it through the Chiefs game. And then, obviously, he went down and couldn't take any more um, in the, uh, the, the ASC championship game. I think that was the first thing that went bad. The second thing that went bad is that all of a sudden – it's like the Steelers forgot how to play football. I mean, the offensive line did their job in the pass and pass pro, as they have all year long. But ultimately, there was no rhythm. There was no balance. They were still, for some reason, they decided that today, I'm sorry, today, that day was a good day to try to reinsert Tammy Coates into the lineup. I don't know, man. I really wish I had some answers for you. It was very discombobulated. Uh, it didn't look like they were very organized. It didn't look like they were very detailed in their preparations. Uh, and I think that you could probably say the same thing on the defensive side, too. But uh, those are my takes on the offense. I mean, the offense didn't do anything. It really they didn't do anything. Uh, just looked at all the way around. Well, what will be this, Jeff? Let's say Le'Veon Bell doesn't go down, and the running game just isn't working like they thought it would. And let me give you an example on the Patriots side. It came out later. I think Josh said it, great to sell those guys, NFL Magic Show, that the Patriots had run only 10 plays of 10 personnel. That's one running back, no tight ends. So that's one running back, four wide receivers, your five your skill guys, two quarterbacks. So they had run that position or that formation, not necessarily formation, that personnel grouping only 10 times the entire year. And in that game, they ran it in excess of almost 20 times in that game. So they adjusted on the fly to what the Steelers were doing defense. Where were the adjustments to the offensive game plan once Le'Veon Bell went down? 
That seems puzzling to me. It seems as if they didn't have a plan B. You know, what's your thoughts to that? Well, my, my thoughts to that, honestly, is that, you know, the Steelers, really, if you look back at the season, they never made drastic adjustments. And Mike Tomlin even said this. He said, you know, honestly, they would win a game, and he'd say, well, we didn't, we didn't make any adjustments. We just started playing better football. It almost seems like there's that prideful, we don't want to change the plan that we've practiced, uh, comes into the, the actual game. And Bill Belichick is the antithesis of that. He's the guy that will change every day if he has to win. Um, and he does, and he is successful doing it. Uh, I, I think that what I don't understand is that even with the Angela Williams in the game, why would you get away with get away from what got you to that point, and that was running the football with authority. And that's – I think that we could both probably agree, and I'll ask you this in a second. The turning point in the game was when Roethlisberger threw the ball to Jesse James. It looked like a touchdown. Everyone thought it was a touchdown. Replay correctly said that he was down at the, the half-foot line. And the Steelers end up settling for a field goal. They can't punch it in. Uh, they'd never used – the jumbo package, Roosevelt Mix was not on the field during that series. I don't know why. Um, would you say that was the turning point in the game? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, if they score a touchdown there and they get the ball and start the second half, they end up going three and out. But, you know, I still think it's a different football game. I think it gives them a boost. They start to believe that they could actually win the game. I think going in the halftime, I think they were a bit demoralized. Neither plan was working well, and they got stoned there. And so if you score the touchdown there instead of kicking the field goal, I think it really changes the tone of the game. I don't think they win the game, but it changes the tone. So let me ask you one last question on the offensive side of football. We saw Brady adjust on the fly because Brady's been comfortable in that offense for years. And why, why don't we see similar things, you know, when it comes to Ben Roethlisberger in that offense? Is it because – you have a young Jesse James, you have Eli Rogers, you have young secondary wide receivers that maybe you need to play close to the best so they can play fast instead of thinking too much. You know, might that be a reason we didn't see a drastic adjustment in the game or drastic adjustment over the course of the season? Well, what's your thoughts? I absolutely think that's why. Um and that says a lot about those young players. But, hey, that's a lot to digest. Let's, let's be honest. Eli Rogers is a rookie. I know he played last year. He was on injury reserve with a foot injury. He never saw the football field. And then you have DeMarcus Ayers. I know he didn't play in the AFC Championship team, but that's just another example of a young player. Sandy Coates uh, still developing. Um, really, every wide receiver other than Darius Hayward Bay and Antonio Brown I don't know if Roethlisberger or Todd Haley or even Mike Tomlin would trust them to go out on the field and all of a sudden them start making drastic changes at the line of scrimmage and have them do what they're supposed to. You still saw mistakes. Darius Hayward Bay ran the wrong route, which resulted in that Ben Roethlisberger interception. Uh, Kobe Hamilton, you know, he dropped that touchdown. There were, I think that, honestly, there were some trust issues between Roethlisberger and those receivers to not just – hold on to the football, but to do what they're supposed to, be what they're supposed to be. And when you have a quarterback doubting that, that is not a good recipe for success. 
Connect with others who work for themselves. Connect with like minds, new ideas, and fellow creators. Connect with innovators, industry experts, mentors, and potential partners. Connect with risk takers. Connect with opportunity and new possibilities. Connect with your inner leader, explorer, or inventor. Connect with what your business needs to succeed at QuickBooks Connect. Join us November 6th at the San Jose Convention Center. QuickBooks Connect, backing your path to success. Register now at QuickBooksConnect.com. Yeah, that's unfortunate. They could not adjust in this game because I think what we're seeing, when you when you bring, you know, when you play the Patriots, you better be prepared to defend everything and do everything offensively and play a very clean game if you want to get out of Foxborough, particularly in the playoffs, with a victory. And, you know, right now they're just not good enough on both sides of the ball. And I think that was very sobering for Steeler Nation. On the defensive side of football, they played the coverage game. I think they felt they could not get to Brady, so they wanted to utilize their numbers and assets in the coverage game. And watching Bud Dupree and James Harrison play coverage in space over and over and over again was very frustrating to me because they did not look comfortable doing it at all. They looked about as comfortable as a size 26 woman with a size 4 thong on. That's about as comfortable as they look playing zone coverage. As they watched guys run past them in scene consistently during the game. When I looked at the Patriots matchup and this matchup for defense, problems that the Steelers have, they cannot effectively pressure Tom Brady. If you don't get pressure on Tom Brady, there is no way to win. But I understand wanting to get him to hold it a little bit long. So the thought is, I think, when you approach Brady, if you rush four, you drop seven, even if you rush three and drop eight, if you can get him to hold it a tip longer, maybe you can get home with your pressure scheme. If they don't have enough guys, it was painful see to get pressure and then they weren't disciplined in their zone coverages you know with the plan in and of itself so I heard a lot in the two weeks just play man just play man like man in and of itself was the magic solution I challenge guys to go back guys and gals are still in this to go back look at the all 22 of the 2015 game they played a ton of man in that game with Blake, Cortez Allen, Bill Kay, they played a lot of two men, and they played a lot of man, and they got carved up because the Patriots just brought a lot of man beater, pick rub rub concepts against your man coverage. They have rock concepts to go against man, rock concepts to go against zones. They can attack you any way they want to because they got the maestro back there. So if you're not chopping that, proverbial head off the snake and putting hits on Brady, you're in trouble. So I think moving forward as they approach the Patriots, they have to really figure out how are they going to get pressure on Brady because sitting back and playing coverage is not going to get it if you're not impacting him physically and putting hits on him. So, you know, maybe giving their personnel is the best plan that they could come up with similarly to the offensive side of football. They just had no adjustments, and they kept doing it over and over again, 
They were very undisciplined in their zone coverages with their eye discipline. He was moving those guys around. They couldn't get pressure. And there were boys in the zone everywhere. So it wasn't just a damn spring in one league. It was like a damn spring in five leagues. And Brady had all day to throw. He could throw it to anybody because people were open. With all that being said, Jeff, I'm going to get to the question that we talked about at the top of the show. Answer this for me. Do the Steelers have a New England Patriot problem? Yes, uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely they do. They have a Patriots problem from the coaching staff on down to their personnel groupings. Uh, I don't think there's anyone in their right mind that could say that they don't. Uh, you look at matchups, and the Patriots, even without Rob Gronkowski, they are matchup problems for the Steelers. And why? Because their coaching staff puts them in positions to maximize matchups. Uh, this is something that the Steelers, if I'm Mike Tomlin, uh, I'm sitting my coaching staff down, and we're watching the AFC Championship game, but we're not going to watch Pittsburgh. We're going to focus on the New England Patriots, and we're going to say this is what we need to strive to be because if we can't do this offensively and we can't beat this defensively, then we're going to have issues. Um, so you focus on that game as, as a defense and figure out, well, what can we do to stop a up-tempo attack, a quarterback as good and cer- as cerebral as Tom Brady? And offensively, how are we going to try to make our offense become as diverse and versatile as, as their offense is? Um, and I, I want to get your take on this question there, Lance. I'm going to throw one back at you. Offensively or defensively, I'll let you say defensively. What do you think, within reason, is the key word here, what do you think within reason needs to happen for the Steelers to be able to beat the Patriots? I'm assuming there's going to have to be some personnel changes. What changes or what needs to change for the Steelers' defense to be able to match up a little bit better with the Patriots? I think defensively, and I'm gonna throw it back to you on the offensive end because would you would you believe would you would you would you would you believe Jeff that the Steelers are averaging because in the last three matchups they scored 17, 16, and 21 points against the Patriots. They're only averaging 18 points against giving up 30. That's a 12 point differential. That's almost two touchdowns. So they absolutely have a Patriots problem. But I, I was surprised when I saw that they were only averaging 18 points a game in three in the last three games against the Pats. So I think they have an equal problem on both sides of the ball. But defensively, first of all, what, what the Pats always give you since the – they always give you the running back that can catch the ball out of the backfield. And so now they have two, Deion Lewis and James White. So you have to have a linebacker that can hold up in one-on-one coverage against a running back coming out of the backfield. That's one. Gronk, you're just not going to have anybody that can match up to Gronk, period. You know, you're going to have to double Gronk. So you accept that. Gronk's a monster. If he comes back healthy, Gronk's a monster. He's a Hall of Fame player. He's special. That is what it is. You also have to have, in my opinion, 
cornerbacks that are versatile enough to play both man and play both zone. So I think you're going to have to mix up coverages against Tom Brady. But also I think you're going to have to have to rush the passer with four defensive linemen. I think you've got to get away from dropping linebackers that rush the passer into coverage because those guys are liabilities. If you add, you know, so my priority would be adding a defensive lineman, you know, maybe a five or seven technique defensive end that can rush the passer so you can possibly play some four-man runs to try to get after him with a four-man rush that way and maybe play zone behind it or maybe some man, but switch up and bury the look. I think right now when you look at the roster, I mean, if you decide to just rush three and play eight consistently, you basically said our pass rush is not good enough to get there. So I think the priority has to be on pass rush first and pressure first, coverage second, but a, a slight second right behind it. And, you know, right now I just don't think they have the piece. Edelman can always take advantage of tennis. Both running backs can take advantage of kids. So maybe you need another guy that looks like Shazier on the inside. Maybe you get that person in free agency, you know, an inside backer that can run. But, yeah, you, you've got to get more versatile with your cornerbacks as well. You've got to be able to play man's home, bury the looks, show him different things. But if you're going to sit back there in zone, cover three, uh, maybe a little bit of cover two, snap after snap, only rushing three, you're going to get carved up like they got carved up. So it has to be a complete philosophical change, and they have to build that defense around stop and break. I don't even think they need to look at the division. I think they know what the division presents. They got to look at it. Look, we have a Patriot problem. We need to start crafting this defense in a way that can beat spread offenses that are commanded by Tom Brady. So the Patriots are wonderfully, are wonderfully schemed, and you got to have experienced, versatile guys that can do a lot of different things that can adjust on the fly to deal with everything that Brady's going to bring to the table. But I absolutely believe they have a Patriot problem. And, you know, I don't know how close they are to solve it. But let me ask you this, Jeff. Offensively, they're only averaging 18 points against the Patriots. I mean, what can they do? you know, to free up Antonio Brown. He struggled, he kind of struggles against them. Uh, you know, what can they do to score more points? Because as much as I've said about what they can do on defense, you know, if you go to Foxborough, you're going to have to score 30. You're going to have to score 30 points. And, and, and they're far from scoring 30 points in Foxborough because even in the game in 2015, they only got to that score because I think they scored on the last play of the game when I touched out past Antonio Brown. So from the offensive perspective, you know, what can they do to address the Patriot problem? Um, well, you talked about Antonio Brown. I mean, Bill Belichick is a great defensive mind. And I haven't watched the film yet, but I had someone point out that what Belichick likes to do uh, when he approaches a team with multiple weapons is he likes to take his number one quarterback and put them on the number two receiver of the opposite team. And then he likes to double team the top quarterback, a top receiver. So in this case, that would have meant that the number two quarter or the number one quarterback. Now this didn't happen all the time because Malcolm Butler did cover Antonio Brown a good bit of the game. But I don't think in this AFC Championship game 
Bill Belichick was that worried about Antonio Brown. He was he knew how to take one receiver out of the game. And the thing that gets me about this matchup is if you go online, you can actually look at these uh, advanced diagrams that the NFL puts out uh, with different route trees and, and where they caught the passes, incomplete passes. Uh, and Antonio Brown never really worked at the middle of the field at all against the Patriots, which I was really shocked uh, with. It, it just is one of the – you just added to the list of things that made you scratch your head saying, why in the world was this the plan? But what they really need, in my opinion, is – they need the number two receiver back. And I'm sorry, people can say what they want about Sammy Coates or Darius Hayward Bay. They need Martavis Bryant back, period. You get Martavis Bryant back, and all of a sudden, you want to think about double-teaming Antonio Brown, you're going to leave Martavis Bryant one-on-one on the outside. And I'm sorry, he's going to win that matchup probably seven out of ten times, I guarantee it. He's that good, he's that freakish. And when you back off enough... They throw that little quick screen. We've seen him do it before. He takes it, goes to the house. He's just that athletic, that dynamic. Now, with that being said, you cannot rely on Martavis Bryant to come back because there's so much still that's unknown. You don't know whether his reinstatement is going to get cleared. You don't know if he's going to be able to stay clean and stay on the team for a full season. You just have all these different factors that are unknown. They could draft a receiver but they need Martavis Bryant. They have all the other pieces of the puzzle. I mean, I don't have to look at the offense and say, other than maybe a dynamic tight end, which I still think that if Ladarius Green can get healthy, he's that guy. They have the running back. Le'Veon Bell's not going anywhere. They have the offensive line. They've got Antonio Brown. And so they just need that number two back. And I know that in the past they've struggled against the Patriots. Again, we've talked about this from the moment we started the show till now. The Patriots always make adjustments. Well, Martavis Bryant can exploit some of those adjustments because he's that talented. And if they want to play straight up, well, then Antonio Brown should be able to eat up his one-on-one matchup all day and all night. Um, I think the Steelers' offense is close. I really do. Uh, Sometimes, a lot of times, I should say, they got in their own way. Um, The red zone issues are a concern. But I ultimately think the Steelers' offense is not that close. What do you think? Or it's not that far, I should say, not that far. From a talent perspective, I mean, what it sounds like this man, you look at their offense, they can just throw the big one back. But we're just going to come out and keep throwing hard shots. You can keep ducking and dodging. Ultimately, you know, it's the Joe Lewis mentality. You can run, but you can't hide. I'm going to catch up with you eventually. I'm going to knock you out with all these weapons. I'm going to put three on the field, Bryant, down, Brown. You're going to break at some point. You can't scheme around all of these weapons. And you got Roethlisberger on the ball. I get it. And that makes perfect sense. But, but I want to pause for a here because I think we both 100% believe that the Steelers have a Patriot problem. And the Patriots have to be the number one priority in terms of how they structure and frame their team. Because the AFC East is not very good. The Patriots are going to win the division next year unless Brady gets hurt. And they're going to probably have to go up to New England and play them. And this is something that I talked about with Spade being so upset at the beginning of the season. You guys get Mark State, Joe Five from our early show. I was upset about the suspension 
because I said, look, you want to go to the Super Bowl, you need to get the number one seed in the AFC and not have to go to New England and deal with the boys in Tommy. They don't, they barely lose. They lost to the Ravens and the AFC Championship in Tommy. But other than that, you get them in Foxborough and the AFC Championship, they're going to the Super Bowl. I think this is their ninth appearance. It, it is what it is. But I want to, I want to push the show along. We both prefer to have a Patriots problem. I think they have to look themselves in the mirror, come to grips with it, figure out the solution. We're talking about Ben Robinson. How serious has Ben about retiring? So what do you think that was all about? Hey, sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with MyBookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event even eSports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. Uh, I think it was a combination of things. I think it was a combination of Ben Roethlisberger frustrated over um, the loss, frustrated over some of his teammates, maybe their lack of preparation. Um, I think it was just frustration at that point in his career. Um, he's got he was he's again another season where he's been banged up. And I think that he he is just looking at it from the outside in, and saying, "Well, how, how much how much do I have left? Essentially, you know, exactly what what, what do I want to be like when I leave the game?" And that's something he said in his interview with the '93 Seven the Fan, is that he doesn't want to be carted off the field; he wants to be able to walk away from the game. And I think that's a good point. I don't fault that guy at all. But in terms of seriousness, there's no way, in my opinion, he he walked away from the amount of money he still do and the team that they could possibly have. He's still a very competitive guy. Um, Art Rooney II, his comments echoed that. I think that, if anything, Roethlisberger was doing the Steelers a favor uh, in, in the fact that I think that he kind of said, look, I don't know how many years I have left, but I'm kind of I'm, I'm setting the timer for you guys. Uh, if you thought five years was the number, it might only be two or three. So you might want to start planning for, for your backup plan now and not wait and then have I – mean, let's be honest. If you're going to re-sign Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown and Ben Roethlisberger only plays two or three more years, you want to have a successor ready to go because they're going to need to know the system. They're going to have to have a good rapport with those players or else you're going to waste a lot of their prime. So I don't think that he's that serious about retiring – he could. I don't know. I have no inside information there. What do you think? Now, this is why we're the flagship show. Because Jeff is joy, and I'm obviously not joy. I'm paid. I'm not joy. So, let me play advocate here. Your response paints a very benevolent Ben Rock. 
Ben was taking shots. Ben was trying to set a fire in the organization by saying, look, man, you think I'm playing five? I might be playing three. So you need to get something happening here. Was he playing a LeBron James but less whiny, but, don't, but sailing it in, retirement top, but not just coming out and saying, look, we ain't got enough. You need to give us some more. We need more to beat these boys. Because right now we ain't got enough. Do you think he was taking shots at the organization in a nice way? Or do you really think he was, you know, all that retirement talk was like like legitimate, like he was really thinking of that, or this is a calculating bit, which we all know Ben is? Well, he's very calculated with what he says to the media. Um, whether it's, you know, the criticism of Antonio Brown's Facebook Live video, whether it's go back to 2015 and him kind of calling out Martavis Bryant's toughness. And he knows what he's doing. He's very smart. He knows exactly what he's saying. He knows what the media is going to say about it. And he sends messages. He's a lot like his head coach. Mike Tomlin does it every Tuesday. Same exact thing. They say things that are, possibly go under the radar for most fans, but the players, when they hear that, they know exactly what he's saying. Um, I I think that there is some truth to the retirement talk, but I think that, like you said, he was sending a very clear message to the organization that not only is it maybe you should start start thinking about the future, but also maybe you all need to really evaluate the rest of the team and figure out whether they want to be here and if they want to actually try to win because – that was a common thread uh, it seemed from the locker room, especially from Roethlisberger, that he, he, he said it after the game. He thought the game was the, the situation was too big for a lot of players. Talk about a damning uh, admittal, uh, you know, admitting that to the public like that. I can't believe he said it, but he did. Um, you really don't think that he – you think his retirement talk was nothing but a message sent to the team? Yeah, I think it was a shot across the bow. I think he said, look, man, um, y'all think I'm being here for five years? It might be two. So with that being said, you need to get some of these guys out of here where the moment is too small because I'm trying to win championships. And just don't assume I'm going to be around here. So we need to be all forward go and trying to get this seventh championship. But once I get it, I'm out of here. But best believe, I'm putting y'all on notice. And I think he did it in a way in which it doesn't come across like I just said it, where it sounds whiny and it sounds like he's being demanding. But when your quarterback says he might retire, oh, the antennas go up in the building. But what that being said, do you think the Steelers draft the quarterback in this upcoming draft in, in, in response to this topic. I, I thought that this year would be the year that if they're going to start looking at quarterback, this would be the, the year. Uh, but that was even before he said it. I said that last year at like the draft when people were suggesting that the Steelers need to start thinking quarterback. I said, no, don't need to do it now. Wait a year, maybe even two. I, I don't think the Steelers need to draft a quarterback just to draft a quarterback. They need to find a player that is the right guy. Uh, In my opinion, if we're all on the same page that Roethlisberger will be back next year, 
they could easily go into the season with Zach Mettenberger as the backup, Roethlisberger as the guy, and, uh, you know, maybe they get a journeyman player to, to be the number three or, or something like that. I don't think Landry Jones will be back per se. But if the right quarterback is there, it, it would be a good spot to take him. I don't think it's a first-round need. But if it's a second or third round and there's a quarterback prospect that the organization likes that thinks it could really develop into a, a solid player that would benefit from learning behind Roethlisberger for as many years as he has left, then I think that this is the year you might look at that. You might think about, well, you know, Roethlisberger is talking retirement. We need to have a backup plan. We need to have a long-term backup plan. Uh, I, I would say yes, but it's not a first-round need for me at all. What do you think? Yeah, I would agree with you. I, I take him at his word. Don't assume he's playing games. And I, I think a developmental player late in the draft, fifth or sixth round, and put him in the mix with Bettenberg, and, you know, and, and we move forward. They ain't get a journey. I love your plan. You know, I take him at his word. He said that the time is on his mind. He's played long enough to where he has to be thinking about it. He, he's married up against three kids. He's taking a lot of hits. Although he only got back 21 times this year, it's probably the healthy, one of the healthier years. And he has a great offensive line. But but, but you gotta, you know, if he says it, you can't just, you know, push it to the side like he did say. So you have to prepare and have a contingency moving forward. So you just don't. He don't draft the first round guy. So I agree. I like your plan. But you talked about AD, Jeff, the Facebook Live video. Ownership just came out and said, AD's a great guy. He has a little annoyance. We've heard Mike Tomlin take him to task during the week of the AFC Championship. We've heard Ben Roethlisberger call him a powder. We've heard false reports about him pouting during a the game. There's rumors that he's run wrong routes intentionally. It's just all much to do about nothing, and A.B. is the highest paid wide receiver uh, come three months from now, and he's a Pittsburgh Steeler. I do think it's much to do about nothing, but I think there is a purpose behind these reports being released or leaked, so to speak. The Steelers are a, small, are a very smart organization. They're run by smart people. And you don't have a coach that hasn't had a losing season in 10 years without knowing how to kind of manipulate the system. Call me a conspiracy theorist all you want. But I think that the, but I think that the Pittsburgh Steelers are kind of playing uh, Antonio Brown a little bit. I think that they're saying, look, We've got the Facebook Live video. That that was bad. And then on top of that, we've got you quitting on some routes and these reports from Ron Cook saying that he runs the wrong routes and that he, uh, you know, doesn't run back to the huddle. All this stuff is coming out now, and they're really piling on it. And I would not be shocked for a second if I don't think that the Steelers are saying, look, all these reports that are going out about you, that's not good for your stock. Your stock is down right now. You're a tremendous wide receiver. No one is doubting that. But a lot of teams are saying, well, we want that headache. So we're going to offer you a really good deal. I'm thinking along the lines of four to five years, we'll make you a top five wide receiver, paid wide receiver. Um, 
not the most lucrative. We'll give you some. We'll give you a big signing bonus as we always do. But look, we're going to help you out here. You want to stay in town? You want to stay with Ben Roethlisberger? That's what you want to do. I would not be shocked for a second if that's not what the, what is going on here. The Steelers manipulate the media and use the media in their favor probably more than any other team in the National Football League, in my opinion. And that's just, hey, like I said, I've got my tinfoil hat on right now. Um, call me a conspiracy theorist. I wouldn't be shocked if that's what happens. What do you think? I think, maybe, excuse me, I think Antonio Brown um, will absolutely be a Steeler next year. But I think the Steelers, because he chose to take less money the last two years, will make him the highest paid wide receiver in the National Football League. And they will try to mitigate some of those other issues. You know, the running back to the huddle, that's the classic media trying to make you seem as if you're not a hard work. That's classic media stuff. But, but I think he's going to be the highest paid wide receiver at the end of the day in the next three months. Because the leverage he has is that every football team in the National Football League wants Antonio Brown. Every single football team. He's one of the few players where, you know, he's coveted by everyone. So, but, you know, I think the negotiation will largely, you know, they want him back. He wants to be back. But I think there are going to be a lot of discussions around his conduct on the field as well as, uh, you know, just his deviness. But I think he'll absolutely be a Pittsburgh Steeler and he'll be the highest paid wide receiver in the league next year. What about the Le'Veon Bell hamstring? How how concerned are you with that? Or did you want to – comment on A.B. again. I wanted to say one thing about Antonio Brown. I, I think that he will be back as well. I think that they get him back in the fold. I think they get a good deal. Uh, they're going to, you know, his contract will have a nice, healthy signing bonus. Um, they'll backload a lot of his contract. Uh, so in case they need to restructure, or they're going to be smart with the contract and the cap. But um, I'll tell you what, uh, in my personal life and, and in my professional life, I've always gone by the the saying of you don't want to burn those bridges, you know what I mean? Uh, you want to make sure that you always leave relationships and things like that on a good note because you never know when you have to use them again. And I'll tell you what, the media in Pittsburgh, and I know a lot of them say they don't care, but good luck with Antonio Brown in the future because some of the stuff that's coming out of Pittsburgh about this guy, not only do I think it's a bunch of old white men that are just complaining to complain and trying to maybe, I guess, drive up some traffic for their website, it's bad. It's bad. And if I'm Antonio Brown, I'm thinking, these guys want an interview from me? Screw you. You know, I'm going to do my once-a-week thing, and after that, good luck, because I'm not going to deal with any of you guys, because you're a bunch of two-faced jokers. That's exactly what the media seems like in Pittsburgh right now. And like I said, I know that a lot of, a lot of those guys don't care. They're just doing their job, and they're, they're trying to get the scoop and all that stuff. I get it. I run a website. I understand what that's like. But ultimately, they're burning some bridges with Antonio Brown, and it's going to make for some very uncomfortable situations uh, in the future. But in regards to Le'Veon Bell's groin, I was kind of shocked. I thought the groin injury uh, was going to be something that, you know, he takes some time off in the uh, in the off season. 
he gets healthy, he uh, starts hitting his you know his usual workout routine at the at the right time to get himself ready for next season. Well, then all of a sudden today, and I wrote this article for the website, it's reported that he is possibly going to need surgery. Uh, and a lot of people say, well, you know, a lot of players need surgery after the season. Sandy Coates had surgery on his hand. Um, I think a couple other players have reported that they've uh, gone under the knife this offseason. I know that Vince Williams has said that he was going to be in a sling for almost 10 weeks with after he's going to have surgery on his shoulder. Uh, that was hampering him at the end of the season. Look, anytime a player goes under the knife, bad things can happen. You know, you have to ask for that. Marquise Pouncey. If you remember in 2015, he breaks his ankle against the Green Bay Packers in the preseason. It's an injury that would have had him out for probably about, I don't know, two months. They have him on the – he's there at the time. They had, they required a one-person designation for to come off injured reserve. He was their guy. He never comes off injured reserve because he had all those infections in his, uh, sur- his surgically repaired ankle. He had to have seven surgeries on his ankle to clear up those infections. It was a bad situation. So I don't like the fact that Le'Veon Bell has to go under the knife. If he does, he's getting a third opinion. But, look, if you go to a doctor and they say we need surgery, you need surgery, you go to a second doctor they say you need surgery, you go to a third doctor, it's because you're, you're just searching to find someone that will say you don't need surgery. I'm, my guess is he's going to have to have surgery. I don't like it. He's had, been injured a lot in his career, whether it's the foot of the rookie the knee against the Bengals in his uh, second year, the knee against the Bengals again, except this is perfect in 2015 and now the groin. It's not good, but my question for you, Lance, is A, does it bother you, and B, do you think that will have something to do with contract negotiations? Well, he's a running back, and any injury to your legs, ankles, hamstrings, any of that, it's concerning. Hamstrings are tricky. And, you know, the way he runs, his style, that quick burst and acceleration from a stop standpoint, you know, it's tough. I mean, you know, it's absolutely tough. I mean, that's a tough injury, and I am concerned. From a contract perspective, they're going to franchise him. Point blank, period. He's the best running back in the National Football League. He's their best player. His level of production is, you know, even if we get this guy for eight games, ten games, whatever it is, we'll try to hold the water until we get him back because he's that good. So I think he's going to get franchised. There's no way that they can lose Le'Veon Bell and compete for a seventh Lombardi. We've already said that they've had it. They have a significant Patriot problem. Well, the Patriot problem gets even worse if they don't have Le'Veon Bell. I think we're both saying that the Steelers will have Roethlisberger, A.B., and Le'Veon Bell in the fold next year, and hopefully they will add another B to that mix in Brian. But the last thing I want to get to in this particular program, Jeff, is the rant section. And listeners, we're going to bring you a couple more shows uh, moving forward, we're going to talk about free agency, maybe some salary cap stuff. We're going to also talk about the draft. Uh, and, and maybe we'll talk about the Super Bowl at some point. But, but I, want, I want you to rant around this simple question, Jeff. Was the loss to the Patriots so resounding 
does it make you view the season from a half-full or a half-empty perspective? And given that your name is Joy, a.k.a. Joy, <laughs> I kind of I, I know where you're going. But in essence, was the Patriot Law so disconcerting that it tainted your, tainted your perspective of the season? And are you looking at this team as a team with the glasses half full or half empty? Well, you know, the funny thing is, is that for those that don't know, if you're listening to this episode, um, if you follow us on iTunes or on the behind it, BTSC On Demand tab um, on our website, you know that I've been doing uh, almost nightly podcasts that are about 10 minutes to 12 minutes in length. And I talked about this the other day. And so many so many fans that I somehow had an encounter with on social media via Twitter or Facebook or something like that were just so down on this football team. And I kept on thinking to myself, my goodness, I know that loss is bad, but they did make it to the AFC Championship game. This team was left for dead at four and five. They rattled off nine straight wins and are a step away from the Super Bowl. And people are talking like next year, they'd be lucky to win four games. And I know there's a lot of ifs, ands, or buts surrounding the team right now with Antonio Brown and Bell and Ben and all that stuff. For me, though, when you look at it, you take a step back. And, yes, that loss was horrendous against the Patriots. But if you take a step back, you can't help but say this team took a step forward. Uh, There was a lot of good things that happened, especially on the defensive side of the ball. They started to play better. You got some young players. There's three rookies. Don't forget Shazier's still young. Um, you, you forget the players. Um, LT Walton, all those guys really starting to step up, getting a lot of experience. Very, very important. I think offensively, the same thing can be said about Kobe Hamilton, Eli Rogers, these young guys that are now a part of the team. That they've been in the system. They've played in those big games. It's going to pay dividends down, down the road. Um, but I can also see the, the other point, the other side of this. I mean, for crying out loud, after work today, I wanted to, to give blood. And the guy that was drawing my blood was a Steeler fan. He followed the website. And he was like, man, that loss just absolutely crushed my season. And I'm thinking, I told him, I said, man, you can't let that completely annihilate your season. There's still a lot of good things that came out of it. The offensive line, I thought, had a tremendous year. Um, I thought that the the resiliency of the team to get over injury and things like that. I can see both sides, but as you know me, I'm very optimistic. I say on the side, it says the Steelers, this one loss does not tarnish the entire year. But I'm curious to see what you think, because I have a feeling you're going to be on the other side of the coin. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're going to be surprised in that I, I think the glass is half full, and, and I'm glad we're doing this two weeks, almost two weeks after the game, because had we done it last week, I would have said it was half empty. But when you take a step back, you know, this team 
a lot of young pieces got to the AFC Championship. They won a divisional round game on the road. They've gotten further, you know, one step further the last three years. And presumably, if you get Ben back, A.D., Bell, Green is healthy, Jesse James emerged in the AFC Championship and played really good football, that this team is close. It is really close. But at the same time, watching that game, you can't help but come away and say it might be very far in, in regards to its matchup against the Patriots. But if you only have to deal with one particular team that you have to climb the mountaintop over, you're in a really good position as opposed to so many other teams that have so many other problems where their whole division is a problem. That division is a problem. If you just got a Patriot problem, you're very, very, very close. And they are very close. They just have to get over this Patriot hurdle. So I think it was a great season. Not a fantastic season because they only end with Lombardi's. I mean, this is the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's where the measure is. But it's been a great season. I thought this was one of the best seasons that the coaching staff had done in years. Somewhat tainted by the AFC Championship, but I think they coached their butt off. They got these young guys playing. And like you said, at four and five, you know, this team was left for dead. And they overcame that. They won, what, eight games in a row? They went eight and one over their last nine. Unfortunately, the worst game that they played over that stretch was in the AFC Championship, where Brady was able to take advantage of a young defense that got out of sorts very soon with tempo and some other stuff, and it was just kind of too big for them. But I think they'll learn from it, hopefully take it on the chin and get better. And I think they will be better. And this team is very close. They just have to have some pieces fall into their place. You know, some guys come back, stay on a straight and narrow, guys stay healthy, just the normal stuff. But I think the glass is absolutely half full. But, Jeff, take us out with what's going on on the website. What are some things that fans can look forward to in this off-season period, the business season period, so that they stay abreast of everything, black and gold, everything about Steelers football? Well, I'll tell you what, you know, a lot of people, this is, in my opinion, where uh, websites like BehindTheSteelCurtain.com become better than your typical newspaper or your website that you check, where most of those writers, they go on hiatus. They don't talk about the Steelers until the draft starts to roll around or until the winter meetings where the the coaches get together down in Florida. Uh, We're already in the draft coverage. We've gotten some some really good uh, prospect breakdowns. Uh, we're going to run our first big board tomorrow. We've got a three-round mock draft that ran earlier this week, uh, not to mention still commentary on the season that was, a podcast from myself and others. Uh, really, we don't stop. Uh, we're 365 days a, a year. It's all black and gold all the time. Uh, so make sure you check com for all your Pittsburgh Steelers needs. And, Lance, for another season, it's been a pleasure. I really appreciate all your time and your energy and your efforts into the show. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Anything you want to say to the uh, fans before we call it off? Fans, 
Steeler Nation, it's awesome to be able to talk to you guys and give you guys my perspective on Steeler football. It's awesome that you guys, you know, give us a listen. And, you know, we're going to try to do some more shows in the business season. I know Jeff is busy, busy coach. Um, you know, I have my things going on. But we're going to try to, you know, do a few more shows. I love talking Steeler football. And uh, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me and Jeff. We're going to keep it going. You know, look for us to be bigger, bigger, better, and stronger. And, uh, you know, as Bill Cowan always says, we're going to keep it physical in 2017 and <laughs> 2018 season. Oh, by the way, Jeff, before we get out of here, uh, give me your quick Super Bowl yeah. pick. Um, I like the Atlanta Falcons in a high-scoring affair. I'll take the Falcons winning with a final score of 38 to 35, 38-35. I think it's going to be a light-em-up show. Um, I'm not really impressed with either defense. I think the offenses are going to be on display. What do you think? I like the Falcons. I do respect the fact that the Pats are a very good defense. Not a lot of names. But they play their scheme well. You know, they keep you out of the end zone. But I, I think Matt Ryan and this offense is playing at a supernatural level. I like the Atlanta Falcons to shock the world. Um, I'm thinking like 31-27, somewhere around there. But I think they're going to move the ball pretty consistently against the Patriots. And I think the question will be how they operate in the red zone. But, you know, hopefully Julio Jones is healthy and their center is healthy. Because if those two guys aren't right, they will lose the Patriots. But I like the Falcons to somewhat shock the world and win the game. They heard it, folks. Go ahead and uh, get online, place your bets. We both like the Falcons, and we'll see you next time on another episode of The Standard is the Standard. There's a time and a place for black and white, like when you're learning to play piano, or when you want a big two-toned cookie, or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white, so go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing, from banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 18 Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.